Well, hello and welcome to Inexos Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Inexos nerd, Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Well, hello, welcome to Excess Access All Areas, episode 175, the podcast that does an anthology be a deep dive into all things great about this band, get them in the Rock Hall of Fame nominations next week and deal with a bunch of patrons and listeners. Hello, B. how are you, Mrs. Pink? Hair's looking iridescently beautiful as ever. It's getting pinker and pinker, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Wow. Hello. And um, yes. Did you have a nice break, mate? Well, thank you for asking me. It's normally I'm normally ask you those things. Well, we didn't record last week, and we had uh, two episodes before that, and then we had Christmas. So I feel really fresh and really uh, excited by some ideas that are coming up. Um, I I try and think of new podcast ideas when I walk over to get my lunch, and I use that. One, one hour lunch break slash eating time and walking. You get no, an hour. Actually, an hour is generous. It's probably half an hour. I walk over, get the lunch, come back and come up with some ideas for the podcast. So we will share some topics that are coming up very much later in the show. How are you, by the way? Yeah, good. Well, I've been working, working, working. So this is my day off today. So it's quite nice um, getting the kids ready back to school. Yes, the kids go back. Yes. Well, look, bit of bit of self indulgence. My kids go back tomorrow. Did you? When do yours mm-hmm. go back? Thursday. Thursday. Oh, jeez. One goes back on Friday, which is hilarious. Yeah. Well, we are in the summer period in Australia where uh, for our Northern Hemisphere listeners who are rugging up in front of the fire, it is quite warm down here. I I heard from a little Dutch friend that you were sweating profusely yesterday, B. I probably was. uh, And it was a very hot day for you. But uh, we come off a bit of a hiatus and we've had a little bit of a freshener up period just after the double Michael episodes and the birthday episodes. So we're saying this respectfully, but I'm a bit Michaeled out. We might want to park Michael for a few weeks and just – let him have a rest and uh, uh, let people uh, keep listening to those episodes because they're a lot of fun to do. Absolutely fun. Really, really good. Bittersweet, as we say, but those songs are still in my head. It's lovely. Yeah. So we did a deep dive on the, the solo album and then we did a bit of a homage to Michael's uh, to birthday or what would have been his birthday. And, uh, again, we encourage you wherever you are, if you can get your hands on any of the tracks of his solo album, uh, they stand the test of time. And we do know a lot of people haven't actually listened to it. They've probably been more excess fans or maybe during the time when the album came out they weren't really in that zone of listening. So uh, we're glad that some of those songs and things have resonated and you are enjoying them. Uh, I guess, uh, importantly, B, what's come across your in excess desk in the last fortnight anything that you can share yeah actually i I can my mate logan hello logan he's gone gone skiing in in france today so um hope safe journey mate but he was telling me a story back in the day in coffs harbour his mate used to have a stage in the back garden and he had it all rigged up for him and his mates to play anyway this coach (laughs) appeared one night and it was in excess um, and they said, oh, can we join your party? And like, who are you? Yeah, well, we're a band from Sydney. And I'm like, no, piss off. They knocked in excess back. They could have played at their party. I thought it was a bloody hilarious. Wow. Wow. You never yeah. know who you're rejecting, do you, huh? Imagine. I mean, that would have been a corker cool overnight. It, sound, it sounds like... Uh, when uh, Paul McCartney, Dave Grohl, and, and I don't know if it was Kanye, it might have been, actually it might have been someone from ACDC, rolled up after a Grammys party uh, uh, in, in New York at a sort of club there and, 
the guy in the front door was like, yeah, sorry, mate, not tonight. And Dave was like, do you realise who you're saying that to? Oh, no. Uh, well, you know, this guy's only written the, uh, the the White Album. He's only written Sergeant Peppers. And, you know, I think even Paul said, yeah, I wrote yesterday <laughs> as well, you know. But but the big bruiser on the front door didn't know who they were, you know. <laughs> oh, bless back. him. <laughs> That's it, isn't it? There's always one that doesn't know, yeah. not in the know. And the other thing was um, I was on the Australian Music Fans page, which is an awesome page if you like Australian music and follow it. And a guy called Nick Hadley made a post about your friend, actually, uh, Mr Creswell. Okay, yep. And he said, Mr Creswell said that... In Excess's first official gig was on the 1st of September in 1979 at the Ocean, um, Ocean Beach Hotel in Umina. Umina, okay. Now, I was like, well, that's not right. I remember, I remember Tim's and then there was obviously an official one, but actually it's true because I looked it up in the gigography that In Excess um, sent out last year you know, the one that's in the book. And, yeah, he's right. So uh, thank you for that fact. Never really thought about it. So in excess officially and then in excess as the Ferris brothers. Yeah, okay. Well, that's probably the distinction there between the two statistics and, mm. and also probably 77, 78. I mean, they were probably almost a garagey sort of band thing with not really, uh, you know, uh, a repertoire of songs, et cetera, at that point. So when they became officially in excess, that probably uh, stacks up with the timelines. Oh, that was a nice little piece of information that I didn't even register. So the 1st of September is worth celebrating as well. Well, that's my birthday. How about that? It is How's that? Ooh, spooky. Do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Not going to forget that one now, are we? Now, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, Catherine, who uh, came all the way from Canada. Uh, she's been traveling around Australia uh, and visited me in Melbourne the other day. And I, I took her, uh, my kids out for lunch, and she very, very nicely gave me a knitted beanie, uh, fresh from the uh, the wool of Canada. So thank you, Catherine, for that. Uh, I then took her over to the Listen Like Thieves uh, film clip area there, where they were filmed that in 1985 at the Palais. So she was pretty starstruck by that. Uh, and I think she's uh, been to the Australian Open. She's going over to Adelaide. I think as we speak, she's off to Bali. Then she's back to Sydney and Brisbane to see I'm you. I'm hoping to see you in Brisbane. Brisbane. I hope I can make that, yes. Yeah. Uh, it's just one of those things that just, you know, my kids the other day and a couple of friends were like, oh, who are you catching up with? And I said, what's really a very, very um, pleasing legacy or a pleasing part of this podcast is that uh, we do something in our little, uh, you know, rooms of Australia and it goes around the world and people enjoy it. And uh, I know for Catherine, who uh, was a big NXS fan, she told me that she nearly had a chance to see them in Ottawa in 1984 at one of the most, uh, I won't say derelict, but one of the uh, seediest clubs where they played at in uh, 1984 where, you know, you probably took along some weapons before you went to the gig. But she's a big Freedom Deep fan and uh, we, we love the fact that you, you enjoy the show, Catherine, and thanks for catching up with us. Well, she's not only that, she actually helps us with our website as well. She's awesome. So thank you. Just a bit more than a patron. Freedom, take me deeper. Freedom, take me deeper. 
All right. Well, uh, we're going to get to the show. We've got lots to, to get ahead with at the moment. But before we do, we'll uh, welcome our very valuable patrons. And I think we might even have a new patron or two, B, that I will throw to you. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Well, welcome to 2024. Woohoo! Okay. Honorary members, Tim Farris, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Richard Simpkin, Cameron Adams, Mary Woods, Darren Jones, and Paul Jolie, our patrons, Carmen, Laurie, Carrie-Anne, Danielle, Sarah Markram, Sarah Camia, Dr. Jim, Katie, Lisa Mack, Anne-Marie, Susan P, Foxy, Pedro, Mandy, Amanda H, Amanda V, David, Paul, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail, Martin, Jim, Jackie, Sheila, Shannon, Brett, Suzanne, Laurel, Barge, Genevieve, Manny, Shelby, Laurie, Jill, Heidi, Paula, Lisa, Nancy, Juliet, Scott, Anthea, Maria, Tracy, Vernon, Jamie, Diana, Stefan, Andrew, Georgie, Stephen, Kisha, Mark, Vernon, Mandy, Nick, Sula, Amy, Diana, Paul P, Paul B, Alicia, Jay, John, and Kathy, Chantel, Neil, and our special mention is to Mary. Hi, Mary, our new patron for 24. And our special mentions are to Sue D, Joe Robbins, John A. Vink, Michael Spriggs, Glenn Davis, Paul Boozy, and Helen Kirkwood. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. All right, well, uh, we've got uh, a great topic today with Alex Proyas uh, from Kiss of the Dirt fame, and uh, you'll hear a little bit more uh, about his other exploits and achievements. But uh, uh, very excited about that interview, B, and, uh, you know, we can say it is pre-recorded uh, for the sake of this episode, but we do get into some interesting uh, discussion points. But uh, I felt that we really needed to get into a bit of a news of the week because with the Michael episodes, we really haven't done any news this year, and there's so much going on. So, B, what's the time for? It's time for... For the news. This is Manny from the UK, and here is the news. All right, B. Well, I had I found myself laughing profusely this morning. I, I, I turned on our little podcast and I checked our charts out because nobody loves more than, than navel gazing about our chart success than you and I. And uh, B, we have debuted at number two in the charts in Paraguay. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> so, out of curiosity, I don't know who's listening in Paraguay. If it's being translated thank you. correctly, hello. But, but thank you, uh, Montevideo or Asuncion, whatever the capital is, one of those two. But. Uh, uh, we, uh, I did have a, a peruse through, and the only sort of non-English type of podcast that looked familiar, there was a Britney Spears uh, podcast at about forty-eight or something Number like that. Two, that's pretty good. Isn't yeah. It? So, <laughs> so I don't know how these Apple charts work. We always seem to de- debut high, and then we sort of peter out after that. But uh, hello, Paraguay. Also, too, big shout out and a bit of a posthumous shout out to Chris Murphy, who got an Order of Australia medal the other day. Um, these are medals that come out on Australia. I think Mark Opitz got one uh, previously uh, for services to entertainment. Same with Chris. You know, uh, two times a year, I think around King's birthday and then around Australia Day, various awards for social and science and and, and industry and, and entertainment contributions get recognised. So I'm sure Chris's uh, family particularly, and I think you might have touched base with his Wished daughter. Her congratulations and that we were sending all our love from the NXS fans to her and she said thank you very yeah. much, yeah. 
Excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, so obviously that's been uh, particularly sort of uh, gratifying to seeing sort of the recognition uh, for Chris. Um, yeah, very, very pleasing to see that occur. Also too, uh, it has been uh, of recent times, and a lot of people on our, on our sites have mentioned this, uh, Andrew Farris is touring around the, uh, the traps at the moment, B, and I know uh, a couple of uh, friends and uh, of mine uh, have uh, mentioned it actually on their own socials and things as well, uh, which is always particularly pleasing. So check your local guides out. Uh, obviously, this time of year, Golden Guitar period up in Tamworth, you know, the festival and everything going on is occurring. So uh, Andrew is sort of touring. I want to remind you of that. So check your local guides. Additionally to that, in the last week or two, we've seen the release of the All Juiced Up Remixes Part 2, which uh, sees about nine tracks. Uh, I think there's an Egypt Tonight remix. I think the Freedom Deep 12-inch remix is, a, is probably something a little bit fresh and new. Uh, there's nine tracks on there. There's the Rosario Not Enough Time mix or remix. You know, I know um, Catherine was really excited about the, the Freedom Deep one. Uh, it's one of her favourite songs off Full, Full Moon. So check your local guides. Uh, I think also the, there's a Please You Got That E Smooth Club Mix. Uh, I like the, the name Smooth. Uh, remind me of the guy in Kirby Enthusiasm who you will have no idea who that is, but no. some learned <laughs> listeners will. Uh, JB Smooth. Uh, this is E Smooth. Uh, so that's uh, now out. And I think there's another couple of releases coming out in February to make it the four in total. Also, B, a couple of cover songs have come out for some NXS tracks. Obviously, the the cliche ones, Don't Change and uh, Need You Tonight, but I love the name of this band. There's a Don't Change cover by a band called The Miserable Things. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, a British band. Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, no, I don't know where they're from, but you can check that Can't out. Probably Paraguay. <laughs> well, who knows? Um and there was another band called The Scroll, you know, we're always scrolling down. Mm. We've done a cover of Need You Tonight, so check that out if you have time. A little bit of media news, uh, Louisville Public Media, a journal called John Timmons, did an article or a deep dive on Never Tear Us Apart. Um, and it's sort of interesting, you know, when Rolling Stone do their top 500, Never Tear Us Apart has gone from being outside the top 500 to about 380, and the last year was about 180. So this song just still keeps, you know, finding listeners, B, and still having a relevance in, you know, 2024, some 37 years later. You know, later. it's one of those songs that is just such an iconic song for NXS, isn't it, as well? And people have got it as their funeral song and their wedding song, and it's just yeah. uh, full of emotions, Yes. And a lot of these, you know, songs and material, you know, we think we mentioned may, may have been before Christmas and I think I might have posted it out as the movie The Finest Things. There's the scene in the uh, uh, the hotel there or the pub there with New Sensation being sung. I think I might have posted that on our socials. Ironically, being sung sort of, uh, you know, um, miming vocals by a team of uh, guys who work on the boats and things, but one of their main characters is Toby Wallace who played young Michael in the uh, miniseries. So here he is getting... Another chance to sort of do an in excess homage. Have you watched um, Boy Swallows Universe yourself yet? Everybody in the world is telling me about it, so You've it's probably one of those things. You've got to watch it. And, yeah. and for some reason, Travis is all over my social selling his beer to me. He's got is a, that the Viking guy, yeah, isn't it? The yeah, Vi- I mean, I might, Vikings, don't yeah. mind looking at him. He's only up the road, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, he's got Traveller Beer. <laughs> yes, and he's really yes. funny. <laughs> he's such he a was on, good guy. Um, 
he's a good friend of SEN Radio, which is one of our sports radio networks down here, and he was on, uh, I think, promoting it the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who know the, the the streaming series Viking Vikings, he plays the the main character in that. Um, Ralph Ralph from the, or uh, something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, mm. he's from the uh, the Murray River area, mm. you know, and uh, he uh, obviously has uh, sprouting that new series. If you do get it overseas, worth watching. I'm hearing. I think the first time uh, I saw him, he was Calvin Klein. Medal, oh, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, but yeah, 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 I mean, what a good, 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 um, what a good series, and the fact that he comes in with I send a message and then goes out with um, Devil Inside. Ah, there's in excess stuff in there. Yeah, isn't yeah, ah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I did. Uh, ah, that's why everyone keeps talking about it. Yeah, uh-huh. so okay. it's got lots of great '80s tracks, but yeah, yes. can't come in on in excess and went out on in excess. Right. But um, yeah, I did a massive post, and it's just gone completely viral. It's I think it's yeah. nearly up to a million reach. So uh, yeah, well, I know maybe you we love get it. those songs back in the charts. Yeah, then, you? you know, do it. I, I, I was reading this morning that Britney Spears has got a song called Selfish that is tar- uh, charting only because Justin Timberlake has a new song out called Selfish that was charting and the Britney fans were, were, were piling on the uh, the Justin uh, <laughs> people with trying to get Britney in the charts. So uh. anyway, all right. Now, B, I'm going to throw this part of the news to you because this is your wheelhouse. Michael Hill Jewelry, okay, exclusive in excess offers. Please tell the listeners what's out there within the Michael Hill Jewelry range. All right, off the top of my head because I am yes. not, uh, I'm not prepared for this. But Michael Hill <laughs> is a jeweler, um, quite a famous jeweler in the high streets of Australia, and together yep. with in excess, they've actually come up with some pendants, some rings, um, some lockets. There's, I think there's about nine different items that you can actually buy. They're quite pricey for silver, um, but they are pretty beautiful. I know as soon as they came out, I must have had about 10 friends say, I've ordered, ordered, ordered. So lots of orders are already going through. But, um, yeah, not in every shop to be seen. So if you're in one of the major cities, then you'll be um, be able to go in, into, the, into the stores and see them. Okay. Yeah, uh, again, probably part of the commercialisation of the NXS brand. So, look, doesn't float my boat, but if you're out there and you're a collector, so be it. I was hoping more for leather. <laughs> All right. We'll put an R rating on this episode. That, that, was, okay. that was something in my head and it came popping out, didn't it? <laughs> All right, a little bit of news, cover bands, B. Now, I think you might be heading back to the UK in around May. Is that still on your agenda? It is, it is, yes. I'm going to go okay. and see the NXS UK band twice in one night. How is that? Okay. Yeah. Well, I just found out they're playing a gig. Well, I think they might even have a gig next week, but uh, uh, there's one particular one around May that took my interest because I thought you'd be there. Now, it's in the town of Northcourt in maybe that's a suburb or a village, part of Abington. Now, I've never heard of that yeah, before. Yeah, I'm going Does there. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah. Is that one you're going no, to? No, one's in Oxford and one's in Abington and one's right. in a pub at the end of the night, yeah. which I'm quite looking yeah. forward to, but the other one's the mm-hmm. fake festival with lots of other bands. Right, um, okay. I think there's a bit of a, a troop of us coming together. I'm even right. going to take my brother and I'm going to make him an in excess right. <laughs> fan in a weekend. Oh, patron. Yes, I am. Patron. <laughs> Watch out, Mark. All right. All right. And I think that over there, that's uh, it called In Excess UK. I think that's the cover band's that's name. Right. Does that sound right? Yes, it yeah. is. Okay. 
also there in Europe, there's uh, a cover band called the NXS Experience, and they're playing in Belgium in the town of Brain uh, with an E on the end of it on June the 7th. So if you do happen to find yourself in Europe through Ticketmaster, you can get tickets there. Also to a little bit of a half NXS story, a half uh, alternate band story, but uh, you may know a new wave hit uh, that – uh, was quite popular. I don't think it charted in the UK. Maybe you don't know. It was called Send Me an Angel by an Australian band called Real Life. Send Me an Angel. angel. Yeah, I do know the track. Yeah. Anyway, this is the only Australian song to chart twice over its lifespan in the top 40. Uh, charted about 1983-29 and they did a remix in around 1989 and it went to 26. Now, it's had lots of remixes over the years. I think Paul Oakenfield from Inexcess sort of, you know, Proximities has done a remix, et cetera, there. But there was an interesting anecdote about this song because it was a real new wave classic. Uh, Mark Opitz, uh, when he finally met the lead singer, he said, oh, I love that song. It's really great. He goes, oh, that's strange. I, I rung up our management and asked them, would you produce it? And he said no. <laughs> <laughs> of, which, of which Mark says, look, I never got the phone call. I would have loved to produce it. Uh, but he was a big fan of the song, et cetera, there. But look, you know, this particular track, you know, was a hit, you know, you know, around the world, as I said, in America and everywhere. And I think the uh, the, the Angels uh, baseball team had it as their uh, going onto the ground song. But this particular track also, uh, well, sorry, this band also supported in excess a number of times throughout the 80s in Australia as they were coming through the ranks. Great song and a great little anecdote with some inaccessible links there. The very last thing I was going to talk a bit about today, B, was the Rock Hall of Fame. And uh, big shout out to the people doing the petitions in Duck Excess. I think as of the 17th of uh, January, they're up to uh, 16,388 signatures. And that had grown, I think, about six, 700 signatures in a couple of weeks. So it feels like, you know, there's a bit of a, a groundswell going on. Um, I'm sure on our platforms, people can go off and click uh, respectively there. It's coming second at the moment in the fan vote behind the Canadian band, The Guess Who. Now, The Guess Who had probably the most famous song was American Woman, and one of their most famous songwriters was uh, Randy Bachman, who went on to do Batman Turner Overdrive, as in uh, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet and Taking Care of Business Fame. Uh, they're up to 25,942 signatures, so it'd be lovely to see the NXS ones bridge the gap over the next few weeks. I had to laugh, though, and I will have my Nickelback uh, once every three-month <laughs> gag. Nickelback have 42 votes at oh. the moment. That's <laughs> So, so that's all their um, family. That's 40 and 42 too many. Um, so, oh, okay. Uh, but yes, that's the latest. Okay. Camp for them. So, if you want to help everybody, please, you can use. Don't vote Nickelback. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you want to help in excess, don't worry about Nickelback. Yeah. Um, you can use your, um, your email once. So, you have to use everybody's email that you know. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. And just get as many on this petition as possible. You can set up multiple emails. Miles, etc. There, yeah. maybe we get Martin would help us with our data there, and uh, you know uh, that could be useful there for us. B. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Now, speaking of uh, Rock Hall of Fame. Um, we were chatting earlier, and we do know through John uh, Jamin, one of our I think uh, recent patrons and great yeah, contributors to the man. show. He loves data. He loves uh, data or data, depending on what uh, side of the uh, Mississippi you're from. 
That being said, we would like to, and this is something going out to probably four or five lucky patrons, we're going to be selecting uh, uh, a group to come on for a panel show where we talk about the Rock Hall of Fame and just have a bit of an up-to-date 2024 discussion, you know, not just the Hall of Fame, but in excess, you know, what you think moves you about them and talk about the bands, you know, credentials and songs and things and with a link to the Hall of Fame. So probably going to ask that this will occur in the next two weeks. Uh, We would like you to contact uh, myself and be um, uh, via messenger. Uh, tell us why you'd like to come on the show. We'd love you to do some research, look at what's going on in the in the marketplace, look at other bands or artists who are being uh, uh, put up. Uh, do your research on Yarn Winner. Do your research on John Sykes has just taken over. Figure out and understand what it, uh, the whole thing's about. We all know it's a little bit of a rig club, but uh, you know what? Once you're in the club, we all like to be in the club. So we think this is sort of a, I think even as, um, Nick Egan said, and particularly Danny Sabre on those episodes you did with him. You know, we want Michael, particularly in the band, to be in their rightful place and yeah. have that just that just that cementing and that sort of uh, almost um, here's a word for you consecration of their career eulogised. And I had a few really interesting thoughts, and I'll let one out of the bag be. I was, I've, I've always thought, as you know, who could induct them, and we've talked about well, who's likely to who would we love to and all these different things. And we've talked about Rob Thomas is probably one of those guys who's the heir apparent who would probably get up there and want to do it. Uh, we've talked about Bono and we've talked about Noel Rogers and a few different people. I've sort of come to the clue conclusion that there's one person that I think I would love to do it because I think the band need to be lifted up by virtue of a band that preceded them, that rated them and, uh, was still influenced by them, and I would love Mick Jagger to do it Ooh. because that episode with Danny Sabre where Danny yeah, had the said specifically, as well, isn't I came to work with him. Do you think I'd work with Mick in case, you know, I wasn't with Michael? As soon as Mick found out I was working with Michael, he wanted me to work with him. Yeah. And then that led to the Stones. And and then we've had other people, and there's always been media reports that Mick loved Michael, took notes at a concert, all that sort of stuff. Mm. And Keith Richards was at the Wembley gig. He he does the liner notes on the Bitter Tears CD single. He rated the band. I'd love a band above in excess who are iconic to say to the world just how good this band were, and they were like the next Rolling Stones of their generation. Yeah. Um. I think that would be that would be fantastic. Rather than a an era parent, you know, come up and talk about it. I'd, I'd love a, a for, forefather get up and talk about a band that. They just rated musically, so that's my little two cents worth. Wouldn't it be better if it better if it was Richard and uh, Mick? Mick and Keith. Yes. Oh, you are oh, you going to the surname first? You get. Oh no, I'm getting too familiar. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, Keith. Yeah, well, Keith. Keith would have to have forty cigarettes, uh, you know, inside the auditorium before the intermission. <laughs> so that might not be possible. But uh, but yeah, so that's, that's just my two cents worth. I've just been thinking about it, and you know, uh, it'd be lovely to see that occur. But um, B, that's the news of the week. Hi, this is Andrew Farris. A big congratulations to Hayden and B for getting this show together and making it a success. Thank you both for your support for my country music and your support for an excess is awesome. Right, B, well, we're really excited. Uh, we're about to introduce uh, a very special guest at the moment, uh, Alex Proyas, who many know as uh, the director of the Kiss the Dirt video. But so much more than that. You know, Alex is a guy whose uh, resume, look, you can go to Wiki and you can download it, you can go to Google and, and just see his achievements. But, you know, the work he did, you know, with excess, et cetera, led to Crowded House, led, led to work overseas with people like Sting, 
you know, Mike Oldfield had led him to get in the, to go into movies, which was his bigger, bigger thing. And we're really excited to have Alex on today. And what we were pleased about when we did do the interview with Alex was we loved his his determined, passionate, in many respects, insightful views how the the music industry is a bit of a forebearer for the movie industry, which is his sort of industry now, and how they really sort of coexist together and how one can influence the other based upon trends, etc. You know, Alex not a shrinking violet. You know, he he has an opinion, he has a stance, and I love people in life who do. He doesn't sit on the fence, uh, and we don't do go down more than just in excess stuff. So we felt that it was definitely appropriate to to develop the the, the interview into areas such as movies and such as you know Hollywood and how things get made because it all ties in with entertainment and how we consume and and just what we do as a, a modern day society with our consumption. So we hope that you know you really enjoy it. You know, we'll go for probably over an hour and. But before we go to our great interview with Alex, a little message from Nick Egan, the famed cover designer of Kick, made the film clip you ought to know for Alanis Morissette, and he knows a lot about film clips. Here's a compliment to Alex Preuss, Kiss the Dirt. All, all feelings aside, NXS videos up till that point have been really kind of like the home movies and, and, um, and we're kind of fun, kind of home movies from the hip. But this one was like cinematic it portrayed the Australian outback and it, the, the lenses were were like almost like anamorphic lenses. And, and I thought that's what NXS should be that, that, that from that thing, I thought that's what, what how NXS should come across to the rest of the world. They look, even though they're Australian and Michael with his RM William boots on it, which I love those boots because <laughs> he's kicking us dust in it. I just think it's a, a masterpiece. I understand also that Chris Murphy didn't like that video very much. So um, we, we, Chris and I had opposite tastes about a lot of things, but it was an Australian director whose name has slipped my mind that did it. I just think I just think the camera movements are beautiful, and it was like I said, a cinematic. It was in excess mm. to me. First cinematic. We are a big band video. Mm. I love the melody of it. I love the I love the sentiment of it, and it's it's just a beautifully written song. The melody is great on it. So so I I love that. Yes, I, I I totally agree. I mean, speaking to um, a lot of fans that are from America, when they saw this and saw the the imagery of uh, Australia, yes. you know, it was just all yeah. um, and, and very sexy, very very sexy. Yeah. I mean, you know, T- Tim's got his shirt off at one point, and you feel the heat, don't you? you yeah, you heat. do. And Michael with his black t shirt, his tight black t shirt, yeah. and his jeans and on, and his Aaron Williams. Yeah, yeah, and and the it, yeah. The belt was great. The belt mm. was great, and everything about it to me, it was simplicity. It Clever. could have been, in fact, when I think about it, but it could have been actually an influence on me for the kit cover because mm. it had those cropped off shots. And I think it could be now when I think back, and those cropped off shots and the individual shots put together, yeah. and that cinematic thing, it definitely probably had some influence on me okay. when I came down to doing yeah. it. All right, well, uh, welcome to NXS Access All Areas. Uh, Alex Preuss, uh, we uh, finally wore you down with the relentless pursuit. Thanks for coming on today. Uh, you're very welcome. And, and uh, I guess I did feel a little hounded. I felt, I felt like I had some stalkers <laughs> there for, for a few months. But, um, no, I'm very, very happy to, to, to be with you and tell you what I can about the wonderful band that NXS was, you know. Well, when we interviewed John Farris uh, early in the year, we decided to start off what was what he was working on at the moment because I guess he was quite excited with some of the studio stuff and B&I and I think everybody who listens to our podcast are movie fans. Um, I think the last 
probably 12, 18 months, two years post sort of the, the COVID world have been pretty busy for you, I would assume. There's a lot of catching up to do. I mean, I started a uh, virtual production uh, VFX facility just before COVID hit, right? Worst time, you know, I couldn't have timed it more perfectly to start up a new business. And, uh, yeah. you know, it was disastrous for us through COVID. I mean, we actually we actually made a feature film, not my own as someone else's, but we, you know, my company did the VFX and the virtual production for it. Uh, and they were all social distancing and all that sort of stuff. But I think things would have gone a little bit better if that pesky COVID bug hadn't hit yeah. us all, you know. Um it was yeah. It was a not a not a not good timing, you know. Was that Mercy Road there with uh, Toby Toby Jones? Yes, and- it's a film called Mercy Road. Yeah, which has come and gone already. Now it's it's, yeah. it's had its dash at the yeah. theater on the big screen, like so many uh, low budget Aussie movies sort of come and go very quickly. Sadly, done virtual, which was uh, the story is basically a guy in a in a truck at night. It's kind of like Duel at night, and he goes to different situations. It's a thriller. Um, yeah. And so the whole world was created. Even the truck itself was created by my company, Heretic Foundation, and done it all, all in the virtual world, you know. Now, my film Nerdums has done some research. Now, that's Toby Jones, the UK actor, I assume. Is that right? Yes, From that's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. He is in a great English show called The Detectorists. I don't know if you ever saw that. I, I've heard of it. I'm not a big TV guy. Um, and you worked uh, on that particular film, I think it was directed by John Curran, is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. And since then, you've obviously gone on to some new projects. I think uh, uh, R.U.R. Do you want to tell our audience a little bit about that? Yeah, well, well, R.U.R. is my my film. It's uh, written and directed. It's adapted from a very famous play by a guy called Carol Capek, Czech writer, who coined the word robot, um, which means worker in Czech. And it's kind of a, it, it's where the whole robot kind of concept came from. And re- it was written in 1920. And I've turned it into a satirical musical farce. <laughs> it was satirical to begin with, but I've kind of turned it up to 11, which is a term that I know your your listeners will be familiar with. Yes, uh, When yes. I say that to film people, they go, what are you, what are you talking about? Um but I know that you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, spinal, spinal tap. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's a musical, uh, and it's uh, and it's kind of crazy. Now, would it be a sort of a, a Kubrick meets sort of a Mel Brooks thing, sort of uh, going? Yeah, I think you may have read something somewhere. I did, I did. Yeah, so much on the noggin there. It's like Doctor Strange Love meets Young Frankenstein. You can possibly imagine those two things yes. combined. Hmm. Sadly, not in black and white, though. I am going to be releasing. Uh, a black and white version. You know, no one wants to let you make a black and white movie these days. You know, it's like they just go, oh, we can't sell it. No one wants to. Netflix actually issued a like the rules of what you can submit to Netflix and it's like no black and white. We won't even watch them. Don't even think about it, you know, which is nice and creative and, and kind of uh, supportive of artists, you know. Even Christopher Nolan, I think, in Oppenheimer, when he was filming the Downey Jr. scenes and that narrative in the story, that was all black and white. Yeah, no, you can do you can do some black and white. Yeah, that's yeah. what we're doing. We're doing a little bit of black and white and a little bit of colour and, and whatever, you know. And then I'm also going to release a pure black and white version on, on Blu-ray. So, yeah. yeah. Good we'll have to wait a few years for that one, but that's mm. that will be available, you know. They filmed the Marilyn Monroe all on black and white, though, didn't they? That the new one that came out. No, I'm pretty sure that's a mixture as well. Oh, is it? This clampdown is only fairly recent too. So, so oh, um, no. you know, it's like the totalitarian future for filmmakers. You know, it becomes 
the rules become stricter by the month. They may not have applied to them when they made Marilyn, which is now. Yeah. But now it's definitely, you're not going to be seeing a lot of black and white movies now. So, yeah. Some of the, uh, you know, the narratives and concepts that, you know, you've even spoken about so far, you know, with the uh, origin of the word robot. I mean, it's really weird how the world sort of repeats itself every 20, 30, 40 years. It comes full cycle and what was old is new again and what is new sometimes struggles to, to evolve. Uh, your movies sort of tackle some of these issues, don't they? Like you've been quite very interested in that sort of sci-fi dystopian universes and things like that in the past. Science fiction is my my wheelhouse, as they say. I think I fell in love with science fiction before I decided to be a filmmaker. This happened very early in my life. Uh, the film that made me want to make movies was when my dad took me to a revised screening of 2001 Space Odyssey. Oh, yeah. You know, that, that's kind of started me off on both of those strands at the same time. It's a wonderful medium for uh, philosophy and also for satire and commentary um, because uh, you can disguise your political leanings and, well, I hope, I hope I'm going to get away with it. This one is big <laughs> time, you know. Um, yeah. But you can bury them in, under the surface. So if people, an audience chooses to read into they can see all sorts of stuff in there that is intended, but if you don't, you can enjoy it as an entertainment about spaceships flying around and people blowing each other up. Could I assume you've had a lot of fun with this one, given this may be one of the, again, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe one of the first times you've sort of weaved a, a comedic element into uh, what you've been doing? It's actually not. It's the second time. I made a movie called Garage Days, which was oh, yes, actually yes. very much inspired yeah. coming full circle into Yes, the world that we we may talk about on this podcast. Um, yeah, which is my early days making music videos and the fact that everyone I knew was in in a band. I was in a band at one stage, etc. And that was a comedy which didn't wasn't received favorably by the public. I'm not known for my comedies, but hopefully I've gotten better. Hopefully I'm going to do a better. But you know, look, R U R is. Um, it's a much different. It's very different. It's not a real world. It's 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 farce. It's like strange love, right? And it's broad comedy, and it's actually the kind of comedies that no one makes anymore. So it's even more of a challenge in this current um, uh, marketplace. Let's call it right. You know, we're supposed to now think that you know if you say anything funny, you're going to offend someone, right? I come from an era that is about satire is okay, you know, and as long as you don't punch down too much, uh, you know, it's okay to criticise. I won't mention mm. anything because that will get me in trouble. Like, like, for example, Mel Brooks' Blazing Saddles, right, oh, as yeah. an example, <laughs> which uses yeah. the N-word, but the script was written by Richard Pryor, who was a black comedian, right, and, and he was, yeah. like, completely aware of what he was doing. You couldn't make that movie now. Right, no. you couldn't make that movie now. Um, so that's kind of the crazy world that we now inhabit with all this kind of cancel culture bullshit that's floating around, um, mm. and that's a real problem. So I'm crazy enough to go, hey, I had a really hard time last time with Gods of Egypt. I'm going to push it even harder this time, you know, because it's an independent yes. film, so I can do what I, I can do what I fucking like, you know. So yeah. If we look at music and I look at movies and I, and I think even now like the, some of the great comedians like Dave Chappelle and Bill Burr and Ricky Gervais and these people who are pushing back on the cancel culture, I mean, there was an element of anti-establishment being a rock star and sometimes some of the great movies are anti-establishment and, and then comedy now yeah. 
is that way too, and, yeah. and we need more voices to express that. And you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and all the stuff that I grew up on uh, that inspired me to make movies had exactly that attitude. It was pushing back against the consensus and the status quo. So, somehow we found ourselves in a, in a universe where the consensus has enforced us through social media um, and cancel culture to self-police ourselves, right, and to like go, yeah. he's saying the wrong thing and she's saying the wrong yeah. thing. And to me that's like it's just kind of it's, it's, it's well, it's, it's 1984 is what it is, which is one of the it is, yeah. one of the, the stories that I've always admired, right? Yes. You know, it's a yes. sad state of affairs. And all I can keep doing, not that I've been overtly political in my in my career, but I'm I'm pushing even harder into that direction, you know, um, because of the fact that I'm feeling the sort of, you know, the 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 boot of totalitarianism squashing my head, you know? Yeah. And I don't feel good about that, you know. What we're encountering right now with this horrific Middle East situation, which is just another scenario that the US has perpetrated forever and a day. You know, it's not the first time they've wiped out an entire country full of people. You know, it's happened before. And I honestly cannot believe the rhetoric that's going on in the mainstream media that is trying to make us feel okay. And, and this is not even the mainstream. It's like listening to the ABC today for, for fuck's sake with this yeah. guy, Richard, someone or other on 702 ABC yeah. radio. And he's, and he's yeah. doing like Biden time trying to support Joe Biden. And I'm like, call it fucking genocide Joe for God's sake, you know, change, <laughs> change yeah. this thing, which was like, he's been doing this, you know, recurring program for the last you know, a few years of Biden's administration going, hey, Biden's better than than Trump, which, sure, he probably is, but not at the moment. At the moment, he's a fucking totalitarian ruler, you know, and it's just mind-boggling how the media keeps trying to convince us all that, you know, unless we, we toe the line in that respect, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be cancelled, you know. So, anyway. But also to the me- the media, you know, we, you know, and it's an interesting conversation. The, the, the media takes sides now, you know, globally. You know, the ABC was always known for an independence and objectivity and spending our seven, eight cents a day wisely per citizen. But it, it's very hard to get clear air and clear narratives that aren't sort of somehow biased or linked to some agenda, which is unfortunate. Mm. Uh, and, the, and the audiences are worse off for that. And I know chatting to John Farris earlier in the year, he, he's obviously – removed himself from sort of the humdrum of Sydney life. He's up in Byron or whatever there, but he's a, and a much more sustained, clear thinker about how life works and don't buy everything you're fed. And, and it was just an interesting interview that I reckon if you go back and have a listen, you'd probably enjoy a simile. You speak from the same hymn book, I guess. You got some great hot shots of John there, particularly in the desert there. So, uh, <laughs> well, the one note I usually used to get from the record company was, 
make sure you get plenty shots of the drummer smiling, right? So we, yes, we yes. know the drummer has a personality, <laughs> but within excess, yes. it was never a problem. They all had personality. It wasn't, was not, yeah, a, that's was not right. an issue. Um, but I was prepared for, you know, telling him something funny to make him laugh, <laughs> just in case. Let's veer into uh, your video sort of career. I'd like to just, you know, acknowledge um, some of the artists you work with. Um, uh, again, Michael Oldfield from the old Tubular Bells uh, origins. Uh, yes, Sting, uh, Crowded House, obviously a couple of strong videos there that, that uh, you know, seminal, they're two most seminal songs really. Um, obviously going into uh, work within excess as well. Um, how did the video career help? sort of give you the confidence and the contacts and sort of, I guess, the uh, the skill base to take that into filmmaking on a, on a bigger level and to long form, you know, well, filmmaking. Well, I always wanted to make movies, of course, you know, most directors do, you know, and music videos for me quite, quite honestly was a means to an end, as were I did a lot of commercials as well. I didn't I had a great career in commercials and commercials were great because they actually paid me lots of money, you know, you know, I used to call them patron of the arts, the advertising world. And so with music videos, I mean, you know, the way that reflects itself in something like uh, the Kiss the Dirt video is that I designed it like a movie. I mean, I structured it all out. I storyboarded it all. I told them I, I didn't like just put them on a stage and say, let's, okay, let's roll the song and play back and, you know, whatever. And, and everyone starts, does a song multiple times through, you know, and we shoot it one way and then we shoot it another way and we shoot it with another camera and another camera and another lens or whatever. And the editor makes it all come together. And what I've been about from the very beginning is about, you know, structuring. You know, I came from shooting Super 8 when I was a kid. You know, I started very young when I was 10 years old shooting Super 8 and I couldn't afford much film stock, so I'd, I'd edit it in camera. I'd only shoot what I needed, right, and then change the angle and shoot that bit, right? And so I made Kiss the Dirt just like that. I, I storyboarded it all out. And I think in those days we used to send them storyboards. And Phil Mortlock actually, he might even have the storyboards still because he's like a... He has. We've seen them. Have you? Okay, all right. Well, yeah. I'd love to see them. I haven't seen them for a while. And I think, oh, I'll see if I I think can I personally them drew them, them. Like, from memory. I can't remember. Um, yeah, it's but, good. But... Um, but so I structured it all and then I said to the band, okay, now in this shot we're going to pan from one person to another person who's going to walk forward and then we're going to go here and we're going to then cut. And then we're going to do this part of the song here and we're going to move here and the camera's going to pan, blah, blah, blah. And it was all completely structured like that, which is a very unusual way to work. But I think that's what gives the video, and I have seen the video recently. I don't go back and watch my old stuff, but... I've seen no. a video recently and I think it holds up well because of that, for that reason. It's structured and it's kind of my yeah. style. It's probably the closest to my style, what I would develop and what I'd already kind of developed in this sort of embryonic state early on that I carried forward into my movies. I'm a very, I'm a structuralist. I love structured shots, right? Yeah. Um, and that's what I, that's it. That's, I'm a one trick pony. That's what I do. But I got to do that on this music video and, it was great. The band were great to work with and so they embraced that way of working and because Philip was involved as well, they could see that that I was not insane and doing it in this completely different way and I think they... Each uh, band member is really interestingly shot given their own moment in the sun, which I guess, you know, you're trying to inform the public. These are the six members of the band and obviously we have our star and Michael, et cetera, there. And Australia is a star as well. Yeah, although it's funny because we had a um, we had a shot of a kangaroo sign and the American manager or someone 
and said, oh, you can't do that. That's that's going to be funny. People are going to laugh at it. I'm going, what? So we actually changed it to a speed limit right. sign. Yeah. But originally it was just, it was a kangaroo. It was like, beware of kangaroos. We had an American tour manager who came with the band. We drove because we wanted to shoot stuff on the way and we were stupid enough and also wanted to save some that's a long journey. We drove and met the band. <laughs> from where? Uh, we drove from Sydney. We were crazy. We were young and stupid, right? And Who were you with that in the car? Our, our whole crew. Our whole crew. We had right, like three okay. cars, and we had yeah, we had our camera people and our producer and our art department to help build the fire yeah. and we had the whole schmozzle, right, you know. And we met the band because the band were very busy at the time. They were, like, taking off already and they they landed somewhere and we then found, picked them up and drove them, you know. They did a mad dash from America, I think, didn't they? Yeah, that's they, right, they, exactly. In yeah. and out, like, within yeah. about 48 hours. I said, hey, land, rather than landing in Sydney, land in Cupertino or whatever. <laughs> I think it was Port Augusta or so, I don't know, somewhere. Yes. But, yeah. um, but anyway, they had one guy who was their two, um, US tour manager, right? He was an American guy. And, of course, being with a bunch of Australians, you know, we're, we're not going to miss the opportunity of giving <laughs> the impression that we are that he's in the most dangerous country known to humanity. And so we told him this story. We said, you never want to sit in the front seat of the car because if you hit a roux, one of those big red roux out in the middle which can grow up to seven feet tall, it's going to smash through the windshield, but it's going to be alive and it's going to claw you to death. Right? <laughs> and so he believed it and and um, he said, but I've got to sit in the, I've, I've got to, I can't have the, I can't have the boys sit in the front. I've got to sit in the front. Anyway, it was quite, quite amusing. So maybe he was the guy who made us change the Rue sign. I don't know. But they, yeah. but we, got oh, right. yeah. we got word <laughs> from the flashbacks. US manager or, or whatever to say no Rue signs. And it's, it's like it comes on for like 12 frames in the middle of this montage. Yes. In the middle of the- yeah, yeah. Obviously, the lyric "Kiss the Dirt Falling Down a Mountain." Did that inform the concept for you? You thought, okay, well, let's get out, use the lyrical content, and make something, you know, within an Australian context. How did the genesis of the idea come about? Kind of, but but often, I mean, who the hell knows what lyrics in most songs mean anyway? I mean, yeah. you, you read your own meaning into them. Um, so probably not much, and I can't really remember to tell you the truth. But I think it's more that the space, right, of that, I think of that middle eight bit is what inspired me. I wanted to construct it with like isolated individual band members who come together because the song has that quality about it, right? Not lyrically but but melodically, you know, and, and instrumentally. Mm. It's very sparse to begin with, really, really sparse, yeah. and then it goes into this sort of airy spatial place in the middle eight and then it breaks out into a rock, you know, rock and roll band performing full. This is a, a compliment uh, of the highest order. I think the video has elevated the song, and sometimes it's 
the other way around. Yeah. Well, well, look, I, and thank you for saying so, but and, and I agree with you being completely objective about it. The anthem at the end, you take yeah. us on this journey and this this bonfire yeah, of these shots. Because the, it, that anthem has has I think helped create the legacy of the song to maintain yeah, its standard. Yeah. Look, I used to bemoan the fact that I wasn't getting any good songs to do videos for. I, I was arrogant enough to go, well, I think my visuals are better than most of the songs I'm working with, and. Yes. Uh, you know, until I started working with Excess and, and you know, Crowded House and people like that. With within Excess, I mean, you know, I was obviously aware of the band and I love their music and I'm like fantastic in Excess. I was so excited. But then when I heard the song that they wanted me to do, I'm like, it's not the best in Excess song, right? I mean, that's complete, maybe be completely honest. It's not the best. I try to, as you say, elevate it and, and give it as much, fulfill the, the dynamics of the music more so than the lyrics of the music. And, uh, and, and I agree with you. I think it evolved it into a more anthemic kind of piece, you know. And what happened when music changed in the early 90s, that song and that end and that anthem, it almost is in excess grungiest moment that almost sounded six, seven years ahead of its time. And yes. it, it, mm-hmm. it's weird because I didn't like the song when I first heard it. I thought, I, relatively speaking, I thought it was okay, but it wasn't anything like, you know, Listen Like Thieves or what you need. But The but video makes it powerful. It's mm. this little four-minute film that really there's not a shot wasted. How do you do that zoom into the band from afar on the Salt Flats? I mean, yeah. some of that stuff is just still looks fantastic, you know? It's a steady cam and it's a wide lens, which yeah. means that, you know, you can't run too fast with the Steadicam. And I didn't operate Steadicam. We had a proper Steadicam operator. Um, but the wide lens helps you feel movement, right? Mm. Particularly the ground moving towards you and all that sort of stuff. It was really hard to do those shots because it was very windy everywhere we were being completely open. And Australia's mm. a windy continent which is why wind farms would be a really bloody good idea. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, and what time of year was it? Um, it was, uh, oh, that, it, uh, it's the, it wouldn't have been the summer, would it? I don't think it was right in the middle of summer, but it wasn't. It was It was hot. It was hot. The album came out in September, October, so I just got a feeling it would have been sometime between then and probably, you know, January when they picked it as a single. But yeah, the other interesting thing is... The, how you captured the horizon and then obviously the sky and just this nice juxtaposition between the beautiful landscape and the colours. I mean, the the colour coding and then the nighttime dusk. Was that a frustrating thing? A timeline? Uh, it had to do a couple of nights I mean, to I, capture that. I was working with the graphic nature of that white salt lake and the mm. red Mundy Mundy. Oh, not Mundy Mundy. Um, the Mar- plane, Mars plane or something. I, don't, I can't remember what it's called, but but the. The uh, Woomera kind of outback kind of thing, um, and um, I was playing with that idea, and I like the idea that it, you frame it in the same place in the frame, and then you can cut it flips right. It's a graphic notion, um, yeah. And that was an early point. I mean, I played with that idea much more in other things, and a lot of other people played with the same idea subsequently because I like this thing of cutting and flipping into this whole other graphic image, you know. That was part of the problem is when you have this dead level horizon and steady cams are these devices where they want to float, right? They want to do this, mm-hmm. right? And when you've got a gale force wind blowing the guy running the steady cam, that was going to spoil my whole idea, which is I wanted that frame line to be set. And these days you can yeah. you can do it all in post, right? You can 
pin register it so that it sits exactly there and doesn't move, right? We didn't have that technology in 1985 whenever it was. So no. we had to get it in the camera. And so we had the guy with the Steadicam and then all everyone else on the crew, including me, with umbrellas running with him, trying to break the wind so that he wouldn't get buffeted, yes. right? Yes. It kind of worked, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was not a pleasurable experience. <laughs> so. And the bonfire, was that already in the, in the storyboard? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We that's that's yeah. we had brought a crew and they and the and the which which is like two people probably, and they had a trailer on the they we rented a trailer in I think it was Port Augusta and we loaded it because not a lot of wood in the middle of um no <laughs> the, the uh, Mars plane or whatever it is and and they loaded up a, a big trailer with firewood and we took it out into the middle of and we lit we lit it and we shot it you know so I hope you used it and you got a Barbie going on that well it was kind of dead by the time we finished shooting it, oh, it, burns, okay. <laughs> it burns pretty quickly other than the odd joint getting lit in the hangers, <laughs> that was about more like, like it. video is uh, one that the band members probably collectively talk most about and obviously there's some anecdotes I'm sure you're going to share but I think there was a big after party and maybe an infamous plane trip home. I wasn't in that so I can't comment on that one. Do you know the, the, the band flew back and they were all asleep and they looked over uh, the pilot and he was asleep and then there was Andrew flying the plane home. Yeah, I, I, had, <laughs> I had heard that story but I, yeah. I didn't participate in it and I'm, I'm glad I didn't actually. What are some of the anecdotes you remember from there? Well, uh, the one that I most remember, and there's a few of them, but other than the, the kangaroo one with the manager, we went through a very small town, uh, like, you know, a one pub town. It was tiny and we just stopped off for a drink on the way and we were a convoy at that stage. We had we had the band in in another vehicle, but we were all kind of stopping in the same place or whatever. And me and Michael and I think John and walked into a pub. Uh, we were the first ones in. And when we go into the pub, I think it was during school holidays, I seem to recall, because what we encountered in the pub is completely empty. No one was there except for two young girls who were, one of them was the publican's daughter, the literal right. publican's daughter. And they were probably like about 16 or something or whatever. They were definitely not at school, so I th- I'm pretty sure it was a, although I guess they do they do probably school of the air in those, in those towns, so maybe they were just on a break yeah. or whatever. And they turn as we walk in because the door does it, bangs, and, they literally, it's like they saw God, right? <laughs> they could not believe what was going on. They were like looking at each other, looking at, at, at the band, looking at back at each other, and there was no one they could express. They were obviously clearly both of the exact right age to be big fans, 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you imagine that, like Michael Hutchins walking no. into in the middle of nowhere. Into, yeah, in the middle of nowhere for, for no good reason. It is like the no. second coming, right? You know, I'll it, serve him. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, of course, they were very gracious, Michael, and and the the whole other oh. band appeared eventually, of course. Yes. Yeah. Um, and they were all very gracious, and we had to explain what was going on. And I remember at one stage when there was a maybe some of the bands had gone, whatever. They didn't have a reason to like be fawning over the band. One of the girls actually said to me, what do you do, you know, ah, figuring oh, I was part of the entourage. Yes. And I said, oh, I'm making music. And they went, oh, cool, you know. Song, good call. I kissed the dirt. And went, oh, we're going to watch it on Countdown, you know. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was my, my fame, my moment of fame. Oh, being, your moment. Yeah. They were they they simpler days, weren't they, uh, Alex? Yeah. 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 Did you stay at the hotel that's in the caves? Underground, yeah, yeah, the underground ones. Don't recall that. Mm. Some things are blurry, but I don't think we did stay there. No, and look, we were going through Cuba PD to get to this plane, this dead, this completely wasteland plane, which is actually a little bit out of a drive out of Cuba PD. And that was your idea. Oh yeah, yeah. We knew exactly where we were going to go. We had someone scout the locations and everything. You know, I just wanted this mm. absolute blank canvas. You know. And mm. we had some guy drive out there from South Australia, from Adelaide. So they found all that location for us before we shot. So we knew exactly where we were going. But mm. We must have stayed um, in Cooperpedia somewhere. I just don't, you know, it's a while ago now and I just don't remember. I, I've shot in the Outback many, many times and I shot there many, many times. So I'm, all I distinctly remember is having um, fish and chips at the uh, the Cooperpedia pub or wherever it was and going, fish is probably not a good thing to in the middle of Australia. It can't possibly be yeah. bread. You didn't get a couple of opals while you were there yeah, then? Yeah, no, I probably did buy an opal or something. I don't know. <laughs> the first time. For, for our, yeah, for our overseas listeners, um, if you ever see the word fish of the day and you are <laughs> seven 800 kilometres from any ocean where uh, Alex found himself, it may not be fish of that day. Yeah. Fish um, of some day, one day. It's Correct. a day, yeah. I also recall Correct. having on the drive in some roadhouse somewhere having a thing called... Steak Gordon Blue. <laughs> the only Australian will probably understand that. Yeah, yes. hilarious. And that wasn't fresh either. So. No. Yeah, yeah. And I did ask Philip Mortlock when we had him on. Um, did it take much to get Tim his, uh, to take his top off? And he said, "No. Were you you part of that?" Or did he- <laughs> no, it didn't take much effort. No, no. I mean, look when they. When you look as good as those guys did in that, I'm not the sort of director who says to someone, can you please take your top off? I think that just happened, right? It just yeah, happened. You took right. it off. Yeah, it was hot. It was hot and sweaty. And- yeah, it would have been. You draw in on Michael's belt bottle as well. That's quite prominent in the video. I mean, it's part of his it's his sexuality, of course. The Doc Martens sales went up pretty high. I think he was wearing Doc Martens in those early days, kicking the, yeah, kicking the dirt yeah. there. He was the whole thing, right? He was the whole. Mm. And so you go the jeans and the T-shirt and the the high, he had the high, I think the high thing cut T-shirt and the belt buckle and part of him is kind of iconic, you know, so I wanted to capture some of that.
We hope you enjoy part one of Alex Proyas kissing the dirt and Hollywood 24. Now go check out our part two via our website inaccessaccessallareas.com or via your favourite listening app. See you there.